the drama starts, we would like you to join in with some of the actions to key words that are said throughout. Um, there's only three, so you don't have to remember many. The first word is family, and we'd like you to do this, so if we can all try that. So whenever you hear family, you do this. Then the second word is streams, and we'd just like you to move your hands over like water. The third word is stars, and you're just going to do twinkling stars. Beautiful. Um, thank you very much. Has anybody heard of a man named Noah? Noah built a huge boat and survived a huge flood along with his family and lots of animals. Well, today's story isn't about him. It's not. Oh, but I like that story. Noah had some children in his family. And one of Noah's sons was called Shem. Shem? Is this story about him? No. Shem was the father of Arphaxad. And Arphaxad was the father of Sheila. Sheila? Sheila was the father of Eber. Sheila's a bloke? <sighs> Eber was the father of Peleg. Pegleg? Was he a pirate? Yahar! Is a story about pirates, then? No, Matthew. Peleg was the father of Ru. Ru was the father of Serug. And Serug was the father of Nahor. This is a boring story. <sighs> Nahor was the father of Terah. And Terah was the father of Abram. And that's who today's story is about. Oh, are we ready to start the story now, then? Yes. Who did you say it was about? Today's story is about this man, Abram. Hello there. Pleased to meet you. I'm Abram. Hello, Abram. I'm narrator too. One day, God spoke to Abraham. Abraham. Yes, Lord. Leave your country and your people and go to a land that I will show you. I will make you and your family into a great nation and I will bless you and all people on earth will be blessed by you. Wow. Okay. And so, at 75 years old, Abraham did as God had told him, taking with him his wife, Sarai, and his nephew, Lot, and set out with their servants and workers. They journeyed through fields and hillsides and alongside streams. They journeyed across deserts and springs and they journeyed beneath billions of stars. 
They did a little bit of resting in the middle. And then they journeyed some more. Until, eventually, they came to rest in a place called Canaan. God then spoke to Abram again. Abram. Yes, Lord. I'm going to give all of this land that you see before you to you and to your descendants. I will give you everything you need. Lord, what can you give me? I am pretty old now, and I have no children. The only person that can inherit this land with all its fields, hillsides and streams is my house servant. Lord, I need a family. Abram was upset and a little bit grumpy. He was getting old and he and Sarai had no children to pass everything on to. But God spoke to Abram again. Abram, you will have a son who will inherit everything. Look up at the night sky and count the stars. One, two, three, four, five. Uh, This could take a while. Uh, Oh, there's far too many to count. Exactly. Abram, your family will be as numerous as the stars. Lord. Wow, that's one big family. Uh, Anyway, um, many, many years passed. And Abraham was now 99 years old. God spoke to Abraham again. Abraham. Yes, Lord. Abraham, your name will now be Abraham. That name, Abraham, means the father of many nations. As well as changing Abraham's name to Abraham... God also changed Abraham's wife's name from Sarai to Sarah. And then God said that she would become pregnant and would have a child. (laughs) Uh, Abraham, what's so funny? It's just that Sarai, oops, sorry, Sarah, she's 90 years old now. How could she possibly have children? Abraham. She's 90. Yes, but she's... She's 90. God spoke to Abraham again and said, Sarah will have a child. He is to be named Isaac. And just as God had promised, Sarah did have a son, and she named him Isaac. Which means laughter, by the way. (laughs) Uh, uh. Yes, it all happened 
just as God said it would. And so, across Abraham's land, amongst the fields and hillsides and the streams, the family grew and grew and grew until it was as numerous as the stars, just as God had promised. So in the interest of remaining visible, I thought I'd stand here. Like the pulpit's unusually high this week. So may I speak in the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today we're starting a new preaching series, and it's called Women's Voices and Women's Lives. We're going to be looking at some of the most exciting women in the Bible. And as you might have guessed from that play that we've just seen, we're starting with Sarah, who has an important part to play in the history of our faith. The name Sarah means princess, and she's mentioned by name in the Bible more than any other woman. In fact, 53 times. But as you'll all know from what you've just heard, for the first 65 years of her life, she wasn't called Sarah at all. She was called Sarai. And that E sound on the end in Hebrew makes her name into my princess. Isn't that tender? You can just imagine Abraham turning to her and saying, my princess. But apparently, in one of the local languages, that name had another meaning. Argumentative. So maybe, maybe, just maybe, Sarai or Sarah wasn't always quite as saintly as we might think. She's certainly no pushover. Sarah lived with her husband in the great city of Ur, in the country which we now call Iraq, but which was then known as Babylonia. And Ur was no backwater. For the time, it was a great metropolis. Business was done, cultural events took place, philosophers gathered to debate, and the astronomers scanned the heavens, seeking to understand the movement of the stars. (laughs) There were 12,000 people living in Ur. I guess that's about the same size as our parish. So, by our standards, that's not exactly a big city. But back then, it was quite something. And as a young woman, Sarah was both privileged and beautiful. So after her marriage, she might have thought she had everything that she could possibly want. And she did, apart from one thing. As we know, she had no children. And the word that the Bible uses is barren. Not a word I think that we'd use these days. Because it sounds so brutal as if without children, her life just wasn't worth considering. And for us now, I don't think that's how things are. But in that time, 2,100 years before Christ was born, things were very harsh for women who couldn't have children. Their husbands might well decide to divorce them. And as well as that stigma, there was also the burden of being seen as one who didn't have God's favour. Children were seen as such a blessing that the lack of them was seen as a sign of disgrace. And the Bible tells many stories about women who struggled to have children, who longed for many years, and then conceived in much later life. As well as the story of Sarah, there's the story of Hannah, who gave birth to the prophet Samuel, and Elizabeth, who became the mother of John the Baptist. And in each of those stories, it's the longing and the waiting, the woundedness and the despair which creates the space for God to act. In each case, the very thing which society saw as a sign of God's disfavour 
was the way in which God's glory shone through. And into this situation of longing and of waiting, of hope and eventually of quiet acceptance, it's just not going to happen. God speaks. So Sarah's story began in Ur, but it didn't end there because Abraham was called by God to move on from that place. In the first instance, the family moved to Haran. God tells Abraham to leave your country, your people, your father's household and go to the land which I will show you. That's quite a demand. Abraham and Sarah are being asked to exchange what is certain for uncertainty, to give up their friends, to live among strangers, and to give up on the joys of city living for the harshness of the desert. This was a really big deal. Abraham was a wealthy man. It wasn't just a question of packing up a couple of suitcases. There was a whole caravan of servants and of animals who had to come too. But go they did, and that was their first great act of faith, which is why we celebrate Abraham and Sarah as a father and mother in faith. And in return for their faithfulness, God made that great promise. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed by you. And that promise is so exciting. St. Paul described it as the gospel in advance. Because 2,100 years before Jesus was even born, the idea is right there, that God is not just going to put things right with the Jews, with his chosen people, but with all the nations of the world. And this blessing was going to come through Abraham and through Sarah too. But at this point, she didn't know that, because God hadn't mentioned her directly. So we don't know what the childless couple made of this promise. Everything must have seemed so unlikely. But they continued on their journey, following the Lord. And as they went on that journey, they had many adventures. They spent time in Egypt, where Abraham had a bit of a crisis of faith and decided the best way to deal with his wife being so beautiful was to pretend that she was his sister. He was worried that when Pharaoh saw the beauty that Sarah had, he would kill him and take her for his own. And strangely enough, this strange approach did pay off. Abraham was treated very well by Pharaoh. He acquired even more sheep and cattle, and apparently donkeys and camels as well. Pharaoh might have intended those gifts to be a dowry before asking for Sarah's hand in marriage, but then the whole household got sick, everybody except Abraham and Sarah. Pharaoh realized that something was up, He confronted Abraham and told them to leave. And Abraham and Sarah continued to have many adventures throughout their journeys. But throughout the journeys that they undertook, God continued with these promises that there would be children. He promised that the descendants would be as many as the stars in the sky and as the grains of the sand on the beach. And Abraham believed. But I wonder how it felt to be Sarah. She wasn't privileged to hear the voice of God directly. How did she feel when her husband came back from his latest conversation with the Lord? She'd shown such great faithfulness, being prepared to follow her husband in leaving her home and to walk through the whole of the Middle East. She'd shown great patience in waiting and hoping for a child. But the time came now when she decided to seize the initiative herself. If the Lord wasn't going to give her a child, 
she would make sure that it happened in a different way. And so she told Abraham to take her servant girl, Hagar, and to have a child with her. As you might imagine, this doesn't end well. Once Hagar becomes pregnant, relationships become very strained. And in the end, Hagar is so unhappy that she runs away and returns only after an encounter with an angel. And this is the moment where God speaks once more. He speaks directly of the blessing that Sarah will receive. I will bless her and will give you a son by her. I will bless her so she will be the mother of nations. And that's when, as we heard in the drama, Abraham can't contain himself any longer. He's listened to these promises for so many years, but this time he roars with laughter. And a little later, the promise is repeated, and this time, Sarah is in her tent, listening. She can hear everything from behind those curtains. And when she hears God's promise, she too laughs out loud. It's just too ridiculous to consider. And God's already chosen the name of this baby. He says that the name will be Isaac, and that means he laughs. A sign not only of Abraham's and Sarah's laughter, but of the great joy that this new baby has brought into their lives. God blessed Sarah, and he blessed her son Isaac, and his sons and their children in turn. Throughout the generations, God kept on making promises and giving people his blessing. And every time someone heard God's word and responded in faith, that blessing was passed on. And it's because of the faith of Abraham and Sarah that we can have faith today. And that's a great blessing for us, but also a great responsibility because it's our job to think about how we pass that faith on. And it's true within families as parents and godparents take on the responsibility for bringing their children up to know and to love God. But it's also true for all of us that we have a responsibility to share our faith with others. Being a Christian isn't just about having God's blessing and keeping it as something private. It's something that we share with others. For Abraham and Sarah, faith meant going on a very long journey in faith. And faith is often a journey for all of us. For Sophie, going on a journey with God is what her Christian life will be about. And her baptism this morning is the first step on that journey. Now perhaps she won't be called to leave Middlesbrough and go to a new land many thousands of miles from home. But throughout her life, she'll face times of change and transition. And as she does that, she'll benefit from knowing that God is with her. The God of Abraham and Sarah is her God too. God is on her side. He wants what is best for her and what is best for all of us. And so we can go out from this place confident and knowing that in God we have, a, we have a strength that will carry us through the difficulties of our lives. Amen.